you like to grab your blue Bibles, we're going to read God's Word together. And it's from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Uh, the title is Praise for Spiritual Blessings in Christ. That's page 1173. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us, in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in a conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were including in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Adrian, thank you so much for reading our passage. Good morning. We're in Ephesians 1 this morning, and uh, John told me, hey, last week, Kevin preached an entire sermon on two, two verses. You've got 12. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll be done but before the evening service. By God's grace, we will be. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word and that we can gather this morning as uh, a body of believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus, to hear what you have to say to us. We pray that uh, our minds will not only understand what these verses are saying, but that our hearts would rejoice in what they have to say to us. Bless, strengthen, and encourage your people this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you, how blessed do you think you are? How blessed do you think you are? I wonder how you'd respond. How might we be inclined to measure how blessed we are? It's probably by looking at our circumstances, isn't it? 
So we might feel like we're blessed, for example, if we do well at school, or if we get promoted at work, or if our finances are in good order, or when our health is in good condition. Or we might feel like we're blessed when we go on holiday to Scotland and it's warm and sunny. Now, those are all good things, aren't they? If we have them, it is not at all misplaced to be grateful for them. But how can you feel grateful or blessed even when life is hard? Did you notice how during the reading, um, uh, how the passage begins? So it starts with praise. Paul praises God. And the passage also ends with praise. Furthermore, I think even if we didn't have the word praise recorded in these verses, we'd still be able to make out that this passage is about praise. Why? Because of Paul's tone throughout. As we read this passage, it's not hard to get the sense that Paul is bouncing off the walls with excitement. You see, verses 3 to 14 in the Greek are actually one long sentence. The lack of any full stops, I think, shows just how much Paul cannot contain his enthusiasm. That There's no time to pause. He's so excited about God. But here's the thing. Where did we learn last week that Paul is writing his letter from? prison. How can someone praise God when they're in prison? And bear in mind that Paul is also someone who's, who's experienced beatings, shipwreck, hunger, rejection, sickness. Yet he is able to say in verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul, how do you do that? How can you, how can you consider yourself blessed? Paul can do it because he's he's not looking at his earthly circumstances. He's not measuring his blessedness in material or physical terms, but in spiritual ones. You see, many people in Paul's shoes would be tempted to think, there is no way that I am blessed. But Paul considers himself blessed because of what God has done for him in Christ. Paul has no lack of spiritual blessings. Now, very briefly, what does it mean to praise God? It means to give him thanks, doesn't it? One way the dictionary defines praise is an expression of thanks. But I think it can be more than just an expression of thanks. I think it should also be an attitude of thanks. Where being grateful to God is your general disposition. You see, it doesn't seem like praising God was was something that Paul only did on on the odd occasion 
when he remembered to. Rather, praise of God seems to have been a, a way of life for him. And no doubt, part of the reason that Paul was able to, to live the Christ-centered life that he did was because of his gratitude to God. From an earthly perspective, in so many ways, life for Paul got worse, not better, after becoming a Christian. But from a spiritual perspective, he was blessed, immensely blessed. And so are we. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, us, the church, the people of God in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In the rest of our passage, Paul is going to give us a bird's eye view of the blessings that we have, which span from eternity past into eternity future. Friends, when you doubt God's goodness to you, when you doubt his love for you, or when you doubt whether being a Christian is worth it, here's an amazing passage to turn to. We're going to look at our passage in three parts this morning. God's blessings in the past, God's blessings in the present, and God's blessings in the future. Let's begin with God's blessings in the past. Our first point is, God chose us in Christ. Have a look with me at verse 4. For he chose us in him, that is, in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The one he loves being Christ. I know that some people struggle with the doctrine of predestination. And I appreciate that it can be hard to, get our, to wrap our heads fully around. We might wonder, if, if God chooses us, does that mean that we're not responsible if, if we reject him? The short answer is yes, we, we are responsible if we reject God. We're responsible because we're all guilty of sin. Sin, sin is something we all actively choose to do. So we are guilty and we must be held responsible. Now, I know that, that is a very short answer. If you'd like a longer one, then may I um, encourage you to read the book Big God by Orlando Sayer. It's very accessible. It's a short book. Uh, I think it's a brilliant read. Uh, you might want to read that. Or if you fancy a deep dive, uh, John Piper has written a tome called Providence. It's about that thick, and it's got a section in there um, on predestination. You might want to read that if you really want to think hard about it. Now, the reason... Um, I don't want to spend more time addressing our questions on predestination this morning. It's because I want to focus on, on how God's choosing us is, is actually a good thing. A really good thing. 
let's consider the implications of God having chosen us in the past. Having chosen us before he even created the world. Here's the first implication. It humbles us. Because God chose us before we even existed, we can't ever be proud or think that we deserve um, to be chosen. God selected us before we did anything. He chose us before we did anything that might cause us to, to consider ourselves worthy of his election. So God's choosing us protects us from, from pride or arrogance. Another implication is for our evangelism. Since God has foreordained people to be saved, this should motivate us to share the gospel with as many people as possible. And here's why. The greater number of people we speak to about Jesus the greater the odds we'll end up sharing the gospel with people who were chosen by God to respond in faith or with faith in Christ. Friends, predestination, far from discouraging evangelism, actually incentivizes it. A third implication of God's choosing us is it encourages us. These verses tell us that God chose us in love and that it gave him great pleasure to do so. So so God didn't reluctantly choose to save you. It delighted him to save you. He chose us freely and because his desire was for us to be the recipients of his grace. Isn't that encouraging? Finally, notice what God's choosing us means for our identity. identity. If we are followers of Christ, we are children of God. We have the privilege of calling God our Father. And He loves us as His children. And here's something crucial. God loves us even better than the best earthly father could ever love his son or daughter. And that's because even the best of earthly fathers are sinners. But God never sins. So he always loves us perfectly. And here's another reason that he can love us flawlessly. He is love in his inmost being. Love is who he is. That's his nature. Brothers and sisters, praise God because he lovingly and freely chose us to be his children. See how God's blessings flow from eternity past and see how they are enjoyed in the present. We are children of God in the here and now. I want us now to notice another blessing that we possess in the present. It's this. We are redeemed. God chose us in Christ to be redeemed 
in Christ. That's our second point, to be redeemed in Christ. Have a look with me at verse 7. In him, that is, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Did you notice during the reading of our passage how all our blessings come in or through Christ? Just to highlight a few, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We were chosen in Christ. We were adopted to sonship through Christ. You see, Jesus is at the very heart of everything that God is doing for his people. And it's from Jesus' death in particular that all our our blessings derive. Without Jesus' death on the cross for us, because of our sin, we would never be able to be holy and blameless in God's sight. Our sin would condemn us. But God chose us to be redeemed in Christ through his death. Now, what does it mean to be redeemed? It means to be forgiven, as verse 7 explains. It means not to have our sins held or counted against us. We've been set free from the penalty and power of sin. So if we're Christians, we don't need to be punished for our sins because Jesus chose to be punished in our place. The payment for our sins was made by Jesus when he willingly laid down his life for us. So today, right now, we can live as God's forgiven people. We no longer need to feel condemned for our sin. Jesus has dealt with it. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that our our conscience will never kick in when we fail to live up to God's standards. It will. Rather, it means that we don't need to, to fear eternal condemnation for our sin. We're forgiven. Brothers and sisters, praise God for his choosing to redeem us, to forgive us from our sin. We've considered how God's blessings to us began in the past and continue to this day. We're now turned to to how God will also bless us in the future. God not only chose us to be redeemed, he chose us so that we might live under Christ's glorious rule. That's our third point. You may have noticed there that on the slide, I've got future and then in brackets um, and present. Because in a sense, this blessing is experienced both now and in the future. But there's a key difference in how this blessing plays out presently compared to uh, in the future. Let's read verses 9 and 10, and then I'll explain it a bit further. Verse 9. With all wisdom and understanding, he, that is God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, 
which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. One day, life will be unbelievably good. To, to such an extent that it's probably impossible for us to imagine, for our minds to grasp. That day is when heaven and earth will be brought together in a new creation. At the fall, there was a rupture between heaven and earth, wasn't there? And that rupture is, is yet to be fully mended. The complete joining of heaven and earth will only happen, as verse 10 says, after the times reach their fulfillment. In other words, at the fullness of time, at the end of time, after Christ returns. Friends, in that glorious future, there will be no more division. So there will be no more storming of government buildings or military coups or wars or even family feuds. There will be the peace and, and joyful unity that we all long for. Everyone will be united under a ruler who is simultaneously the most powerful and most loving king. Life under this king, under this ruler, in this new land, is going to be out of this world. That is the life that we get to look forward to. Life under the king who loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. Now, I did say that this blessing is a future one. And it is predominantly that. But here's how we begin to, to encounter it, to some extent, in the present. We experience Christ's unifying power now in how he brings together people from a variety of backgrounds. Social, racial, ethnic to become one spiritual family. The church, the people of God, is where we begin to see Jesus' unifying power. Now, how can we be sure that this blessing that we get to experience now already in the church, how can we be sure that it will extend beyond the church and beyond the present? How can we be sure that we are going to receive the future blessing where all things, all things will be wonderfully united under Christ's loving rule? I think verses 11 to 14 help us with that question. Because of time, let's read from, from verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. How can we be certain that we will receive the promised future blessing? God's Holy Spirit, who is already with us now, will ensure it. He will get us there. Just as God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land, God will also bring us into the new creation where everything is united under Christ. You see, our passage is actually showing us a new exodus. It contains several uh, allusions to the exodus story. They might not be immediately apparent, but I do think they are there. And I think this would have been highly relevant to the Ephesian Christians because everyone in Ephesus worshipped a goddess called Artemis or Diana. And I think it would have been quite hard for Christians. They're a minority. Everyone around them worships Artemis. Everything in the city is built around the worship of Artemis. And here you are saying, oh, I worship Jesus. Maybe it's a bit like, I don't know, living in Islamabad and saying, I follow Jesus. And everyone around you is going, Allah Akbar. In Ephesus, everyone's going, great is Artemis. It's not easy to be a Christian then. And Artemis also, she was known for being uh, the goddess of slaves. And I suspect uh, many of the Christians would have been slaves. If I'm not mistaken, I think some, somewhere on a court of, up to around a quarter of the population of the Roman Empire uh, were slaves or bond servants. So many Christians, no doubt, would have been slaves. Artemis was the goddess of slaves. Maybe people were expecting Artemis to produce or to bring about the rescue that they longed for. But who is the one who brings about the rescue? It's God. It's God in Christ. This is why I think the allusions to the Exodus story are so relevant to these Christians in Ephesus. And let's spot some of, the, um, some of those links or some of those arrows back to the Exodus. Firstly, God chose Jacob, Israel, Israel to be his what? His firstborn son. And he chose us, his church, to be his children. Secondly, God redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt through the sprinkling of the Passover lamb's blood on the wooden doorposts. And God redeems us from slavery to sin and death through the sprinkling of of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Thirdly, God's presence brought Israel into the promised land by leading them through a pillar of of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And God's presence is leading us into the new creation through his Holy Spirit who is always with us. Friends, you might sometimes doubt whether God loves you. You might sometimes doubt whether the church is really all that significant. This is why we need to remember 
just how key the church is to, to everything that God is doing in the universe. We are at the center of God's cosmic plans. In Christ, he has already blessed us. In Christ, he is currently blessing us. And he will bless us in the future, beyond our wildest dreams. So let's praise him. He is worthy of our praise. I know it can be hard. But try to look beyond your earthly circumstances to your spiritual blessings. Let the latter, not the former, dictate and determine your praise of God. If, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a person of faith, I hope that you'll consider becoming a part of God's family, His people, the church. All the blessings that we've been thinking about, they are available to you if you will follow Jesus. It's from Him that every spiritual blessing flows. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this rich passage. Where do we even begin to praise you? Father, we pray that we'd remember just how blessed we are in Christ, how we have every spiritual blessing in him. Forgive us for, for, for often forgetting these things and for uh, setting our, our minds and hearts on uh, the here and now. Father, we do pray that you'd cause us to be grateful today. Um, as we consider just how blessed we are, um, how your blessings span from eternity past into eternity future. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for lovingly choosing us in spite of us. Thank you that we are redeemed, forgiven in Jesus. We praise you and help us to not only praise you this morning, but to to live a life of praise to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.